0: wood inside. I'm your host, Murphy. Uh, is Tom out there somewhere? I'm fine. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> we know someone else is fine. We just dug into Mark Frost, the final dossier, so we're gonna review that this episode. Tom, do you have uh, any initial thoughts for us? I'm fine. Well, you're, you're well. Okay. You sound like you've been <laughs> no. stuck in a mental institution for the last thirty years, sitting in a corner. Is that an annual word that comes like new shoes? Is this your "I'm fine" thing? Or? I'm fine.
1: <laughs> That's great. When I uh, when we were talking about the Annie section, and we talked about specifically the I'm, "I'm fine," the response to how's Annie, and you said the whole "Leo, the new shoes" line. I just lost it. I thought that was hilarious because it's very similar. Um, just to repeat that line, I thought that was one of the great moments in the book. Not necessarily her her whole story. I have some issues with it, but that one specific detail that every year on the anniversary of uh, the day that she you know left the lodge, she just utters that phrase, I'm fine. And I wish, if anything, just one scene, maybe at the end of, say, episode 9, 10, could have been anyone, where we just go to a mental institution, we see Annie like, staring out of the window, catatonic, and then somehow you know it's that date, and she says, I'm fine. End scene, credits roll, you don't have to return to it. It would have been brilliant. How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? What were your impressions of uh, the, the the final dossier. Now, you didn't read the book; you listened to the audio yeah, version, I correct?
0: The audio book, and uh, I loved the last third of it. I thought it was fantastic. The first two thirds, it was not as compelling, but there was interesting parts in there. But uh, I think
1: I'm high. The whole thing with the final dossier is it's it's about half the size of the secret history of Twin Peaks, and some of these chapters are very slight, and there's just not a lot of information. But what it is doing is bridging the gap. Um, from the events of the original series uh, through the events leading up to season three and in some cases into season three. But uh, the way that it is broken up, there are some chapters that are obviously more interesting than others and there are going to be a few sections that we probably won't go into great detail because there wasn't a lot of detail um, given to us. But we'll start off at the very beginning and this is Tammy Preston again. She was the you know, I guess the narrator, so to speak, of the original Secret History of Twin Peaks, and here she is again playing the role, as she says, like, I am the archivist now, which I thought was kind of interesting, but she is going on Cole's memo to her to follow up on these people in Twin Peaks. I mean, it's a little confusing to me. It's like, why are we taking this tack? Why is this another archivist detailing events in the same vein of the Secret History? And, uh, after rereading it again, I found out that this is, I guess, Cole's directive to Tammy that she wants he wants her to follow up on some of these characters. And obviously, I think it's kind of related to or builds to the events at the end of season three. So I guess that's the reason why we got this format. But I'm not entirely sure that maybe this was the best way to go about it i would have preferred i think maybe going with a different tack since we got the whole archivist milieu in in the secret history to just go and just have frost play this uh uh, narrator so to speak and detail these characters without tammy's voice because it just for me it just wasn't as interesting do you feel the same way Well, I think you bring up a good point.
0: The point is, I think, that you're making um, is that the first book was under, like, the the guise of an investigation, an open investigation, so that you would go into all these stories, but they would all tie back into the initial or the main plot, which is the, the, the mystery or what they're trying to solve. And I didn't quite get or make the connection of why <laughs> like Gordon Cole would be having Tamar Preston spending government dollars investigating like Shelly Johnson's history <laughs> and Annie uh, and, and, and the, all the other towns people of Twin Peaks Like, are there, it seems like there could have been a better use of that like with the Diane mystery there's a lot of stuff that actually happened in the series that was on the government dime and included government workers and a government type of uh, mystery investigation that might have been uh, better uh, uses of the time to investigate I thought like Diane you know but uh, yeah I think that's what you're going with right
1: well yeah. maybe with the Shelley Johnson maybe Cole was specific to Tammy, like, you know, give me the information on Shelly. Yeah, he's,
0: like, obsessed with her. He's using the government dollars to, like, stalk her, lightly stalk her.
1: <laughs> right, but... He's like, I know you love her, Chief, so we sent five
0: guys out on her <laughs> right. to get the fuck out of her. <laughs> Here's some dirt.
1: Well, let's talk, before we get into it, let's maybe talk about a couple of the things, or a couple of the characters that weren't mentioned um, in season three or some of the subplots, and frankly, for me, the big shock was there was no reference to Dougie Janie E or that Vegas subplot at all? Yeah, um, I thought. Does was that tie favorite. into the Does that tie into the dream
0: theory that it was all that? That how would they know about that if it was a Cooper dream, like uh, in the lodge? Kind of ties into that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree. I think there's a reason why that there was no reference made to that. I know it focused in on the characters of Twin Peaks, but towards the end of the book, she goes into all these other different directions and related to Cooper. Um, that we saw emerge from Vegas in part 16, but there's no reference of his time there with, uh, with Dougie, or with uh, Janie E or Sonny Jim or the Mitchum brothers. There's one reference to Duncan Todd, but that's related to Ray. So I thought that was the biggest omission, along with what you mentioned, uh, Diane. There's a couple of mentions about Tulpa Diane and related to Cooper's original tapes, from the original series that she might have redacted uh, because she was a Tulpa, which I thought was interesting because I don't think her Tulpa was created until around 97, you know, via Mr. C. But that was kind of a a curious uh, omission as well. So
0: maybe Frost is going to do his own Diane book later.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it (laughs) ended with like, uh, this, like it's not over yet. And like, you know, the fight will continue. I can't remember the exact line that she used, but, uh, This might be the final dossier related to the archivist, and there might be a series of books that that Frost has uh, planned, and there might be a reason why he omitted certain uh, characters or uh, plots or themes. Well, yeah, and
0: maybe if the whole theory that the entire first season was erased, that maybe like all of our, like they're going to start taking the first series off like Netflix and Hulu and like all of our (laughs) and movies are erased suddenly. (laughs) We have nothing to go with but new stories. That's what he's planning. So it's not only (laughs) going to affect. (laughs) Revamping of the series is coming in season four.
1: It's not uh, only affecting Tammy and the characters in, you know, Twin Peaks. It's it's affecting us as well.
0: Yeah, is your hand shaking? Is your left hand shaking? Because that's what I envisioned the last scene with Tammy when she was. (laughs) Something weird's happening. Hand shaking.
1: Well, let's... Uh, and we'll talk about maybe some of these other things as well as we get into um, the, the chapters. But it does start off with um, the autopsy report of uh, Leo oh, Johnson. Yeah, Leo. He's by... dying
0: to know this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to be a, uh, a familiar uh, phrase for the first uh, 10 uh, chapters no, or whatever? just keep
0: going. Just keep going.
1: Well, we find out what happened to Leo. And it's uh, told um, from Albert's uh, point of view um, uh, right around the... the 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 time of you know the end of the original series I think roughly maybe three or four days after uh, Cooper emerged from uh, or Mr C emerged from the Black Lodge so we have this whole thing where uh, Leo, Leo's autopsy report so he's dead and uh, we kind of all I think assumed that was the case but I think what is most interesting about that report is the way that he died he not, did not die from those tarantulas uh, which are not poisonous which Albert does. Actually, say, but he was shot five times around the heart, like in a circular pattern, with the the fatal blow, or you know, maybe not the fatal blow, but a a bullet in between. And the way that Albert deduced the forensics of that location, which was Wyndham Earl's hideout, was that the shooter was uh, at the uh, maybe the entryway in a bureau stance. So he's making the insinuation. That um, it was a bureau employee, and he he puts that you know his money on on Earl, but he doesn't know anything about Earl going into the Black Lodge and having his soul taken by Bob. So what I'm thinking is is that at some point, at the end or when Mr. C emerged from the Black Lodge and went after Major Briggs that maybe he made a trip found himself at that location and he's the one who shot uh, Leo because if you remember in the original series when they were in um, the shooting range remember Cooper didn't he do like a like a circular pattern with like a smiley face or something um, yeah, that was going to two. be
0: my comeback to you. I was like, if Mr. C did it, Cooper did it, then it would have been a smiley face instead of the, the <laughs> right. circular heart. Right.
1: So that's my gut. <laughs> I mean, that, it, that yeah. maybe it was that's Mr. Good. C that, that did in Leo. What do you think?
0: I think it's Wendell Merle. I think Wendell Merle pulled him out of his misery, right?
1: He Before just, he uh, left? or yeah, why not? Well, but that wouldn't line up with what we saw in the series. Um, it seemed that Leo well, it was, was omitted.
0: It was like we, the last shot we saw of him, right, was having the the tarantulas in the box and uh, holding with a string in his teeth, right? So you know.
1: Yeah, but uh, Lynch cut to Leo again in the last episode when I think Bobby and Shelley are at the diner and Bobby makes some you know kind of comedic comment about Leo. Being up in the woods somewhere, and they cut Lynch cuts to Leo. That same shot from the previous episode, like struggling with the string in his mouth, to <laughs> kind of insinuate that he's still there. And Earl was already in the lodge at that point. Um, so your jaws get tired at some point. Eventually, you're gonna have to. Well, they did because he had spider bites, and also another yeah. curious touch was that Albert noticed the uh, the cake in his hair from when. Uh, Still there <laughs> from Bobby and Shelly's birthday celebration with the kazoos? Yeah, old ass cake. Really, really, the most interesting thing about this is that Frost's memory <laughs> seems to be really like solid with this, especially that little touch about the birthday cake. Because in other instances, his memory is a little foggy. Um, so maybe he did go back to the original series and, and write or uh, uh, watch those old episodes before he wrote the final dossier.
0: Yeah, it feels like this – was this maybe like a cut part of the final dossier that was not included? like Because uh, it feels like this – some of this stuff here feels like he maybe wrote it a long time ago. What do you think? Do you think he really wrote all this stuff now or it's stuff that he – some of the stuff he had, his backstory or, you know – even when it comes to like you know writing the new series, they would have to do research and try to figure out like, okay, what happened to these characters? And you know what I mean? Like to figure out where they – who they were going to pick up and whatnot. This could have been a part of that process, I think. Um, or do you think it was just completely fresh stuff? No, I think that – They started 25 years ago.
1: Well, if you remember the original blurb for the Secret History of Twin Peaks, was uh, the bridging of the series from the, I mean, bridging the gap, the time, the twenty-five year gap from the original series to the new series, and then at some point it evolved where it was, you know, going to change. And it became what we know as the Secret History. So it could be that his original intention was to incorporate a lot of these elements from the Final Dossier into the Secret History, but when he realized that you know because of the non-disclosure agreement or Lynch, Showtime, they didn't want to reveal certain things, so he pulled it back. So he might have had, it, uh, had them already written. I think that he had some things already in mind of some of the characters, but there are other uh, situations where I think that he had fresh takes on, I think especially with maybe the Donna character and the Lana character, which, and the Jacoby, which seemed to be affected by, I think, Frost's current political bent, um, because he really kind of goes off onto um, certain avenues, if you read his Twitter page, that, are, um, uh, that really kind of uh, uh, relate to his political leanings with some of this character. So I think some of the stuff is new, some of the stuff is old, to answer your question.
0: Well, I guess uh, Valhalla, we know what happened to Lee. Yeah, one Valhalla. other final bit
1: about Albert. It's because it was Albert in 1989, it was that fresh, younger, acerbic, sarcastic. Albert, and it really came across in in you know in that chapter, and I could hear his voice, and it was really um, a great. I mean, I understand that Albert in the new series had aged twenty five years, and he kind of mellowed a lot. But he also mentioned W. C. Fields, like I'd rather be here than Philadelphia, yeah, which was a callback to um, the pilot where Cooper said the same thing when he entered town. But he also says something about Cole, like you know, in his silk smoking jacket, drinking a fruity Bordeaux, uh, with uh, entertaining like one of his imported nieces which I thought was interesting because uh, of what we saw in the new series. It's been going on forever. That explains it.
0: Right. <laughs> all right. Well, what's Shelley next? Shelly
1: Johnson. Do you want to take the uh, conch with this one, my friend? No, because I don't really remember
0: what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I read it one time. And it was not, uh, yeah, you know, it just wasn't that compelling. I mean, I know that, she, that they, the reveal is that they got in a fight. Like, she was like uh, the prom date with Bobby and before Le- Laura, there was all that stuff that was revealed. But uh, Tammy did say that she had a good fate. But uh, why don't you elucidate us, because I can't really recall what happened with her.
1: Well, that was the biggest reveal for Shelly, was that Bobby and her were dating when they were both in high school, that they had known each other since elementary school, which would make sense, but that their relationship predated Bobby and Laura's relationship, and then she discovered that he was two-timing her, as Frost uh, says in the book, and there was a big confrontation at the junior prom, and then she took off in her prom dress to the roadhouse. And that's the night that she met Leo. And like an overall arching, um, I wouldn't say theme, but um, realization for me in reading this book is Frost really kind of like holding on or bringing up certain aspects of the original series that I think that he was really kind of closest to, whether it's creating Windom Earl, which he did, or the Dweller on the Threshold. And these are things that weren't incorporated into the new series.
0: Well, it's interesting that like he brought back a lot of the themes from like and storylines and characters from season two, like at the worst parts, like Ernie Niles, Vivian, <laughs> <laughs> like all the empty wince shit, which I couldn't believe. You know, like no one liked that when it first came out, and. Uh, Probably a lot of, only the really hardcore fans would even remember those characters. Um, so he has some sort of, you know, he, he finds value in them, and he's given it to us. Uh, you know, maybe he thought that they weren't uh, portrayed accurately in the second season, and so he wanted to give them justice.
1: There are a lot of fans out there that, like the whole M.T. Wentz, Ernie Niles, uh, subplots, the, you know, Dick Tremaine, even though we didn't get a, a callback to him or a chapter on him or a reference...
0: I actually would not have mind a little Dick Tremaine, little 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 Dick Tremaine uh, back day, up story. I, I agree. Into I, that. and yeah. same thing with Andy, Andy and
1: Lucy. I, I would have liked to have maybe a little uh, you know reference to them. Gee, What about a little Wally? Blaney? I know that's what I was leading yeah. up to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like bad. his uh, trials and tribs on the his road. Antics. Yeah,
0: yeah. His says trials and tribs of the road. Yes. a whole. It's called Wally.
1: All right. Let's move yeah. on to uh, yeah. Yeah. the next chapter, which is the Horns and Haywards, which is. Really kind of related to the events of the uh, last episode of the original series, primarily with uh, the scene where Ben came over to Doc Hayward's house and they had the confrontation and Doc slugged <laughs> him and Ben... No! <laughs> Drops to the knees, the old classic. Yeah, and basically Doc created this cover story and, and Ben apparently went with it. It's
0: like the two, characters, the two families, the House of Horn and Hayward, both destroyed that day because they were just destroyed like their whole families were destroyed I, that, you're,
1: that's right? a very you know apropos uh, comment I totally agree and really uh, you can see the Horn family kind of going that route maybe but not the Hayward clan but it was completely yeah. destroyed uh, starting that night I think uh, Doc Hayward's got a little temper a little Irish temper or something he <laughs> like, seems like you could have gotten past that <laughs> yeah I mean, because what does he do
0: he just freaked out moved across the country like <laughs> just went nuts and like wife died like Donna to becoming like a crack <laughs> at the crack house. <laughs>
1: yeah, after having
0: a modeling career, it was not a good. But then she, you know, ended up living with him. Uh, she, that's where, I guess that's where she is was now. Like I guess the scene uh, in episode seven or whatever, when you're seeing Doc Hayward by the trout farm, like maybe like uh, Donna was, you know, there. Well, that's
1: her. what uh, Frost says in the book is that after yeah. Donna, we'll work. get to Donna yeah. in a second. But basically, you know, Doc a couple of months after the series ended, divorces Eileen. Moves across country, leaves his children with Eileen, starts up a new practice and Donna, when she graduates, she moves off to New York and uh, really the only positive aspect in the whole Uh, uh, Hayward family is Harriet the full blossom of the evening Harriet I think she becomes a pediatrician
0: yeah pediatrician in like Spokane or something Bellevue or something like that I think or Seattle or
1: something I always knew that she had a good good head on her shoulders she was going to work out yeah but Gersten was equally as gifted and they went into greater detail about her be going to Stanford Mm -hmm. at 16 but then suffering from a a, a complete nervous breakdown and, and you know getting addicted to drugs and then when Eileen died she started dating all these nefarious types leading to Stephen. so what we found out which i think was interesting according to frost is Stephen is missing there's a warrant out for his arrest related to the the drug trade with uh, deputy chad and, and little Dickie horn but they didn't say he, he you know, he's just
0: rotten out there yeah is he rotten out there did he go up in <laughs> with the with the with a
1: rhinoceros <laughs> i thought he was dead i was convinced that he was That's dead rhinoceros. but <laughs>
0: yeah. it's little he's gonna b- give me some illusions we're gonna go up to there like he was talking about transcending in a weird way maybe uh I was waiting for a portal when Kirsten was looking at I, I was agree. For some portal to open
1: up. So. The Haywards were really the antithesis of the Palmers in the original series. They were this strong clan, very close, and it really started breaking down because of Ben Horn wanting to do good. That was the whole germ. Tell the truth. To tell yeah. the truth of this, the dissolution of this family. And the fact that Frost's father uh, played Will Hayward. Then he went down this route, and when we saw him in the original series, or here in part—I don't know if it was part seven—I think, when you know Doc Hayward had his little cameo, Um, you wouldn't know any of this happened. He seemed like just you know, just you know, very uh, avuncular, and uh, his old age, talking about trout and breakfast and everything like that. So, so really, Laura Palmer—the whole—it's really affected all the families. Everyone
0: is. There's no one that's come out well. Maybe Shelley. According to Tammy?
1: Shelley, uh, Lana Milford. Um, See, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> yeah, right. it's a
0: lot of Milford. I know is she want. really even a character? <laughs> Maybe
1: can't. that was another Frost creation. Maybe that's why he keeps bringing her back. But there, are, there is one other mention in this chapter of of Audrey. I know there is the Audrey chapter, but some the way that some of the chapters um, are broken, you know, up and. Uh, Say like the Annie Blackburn chapter, which we'll discuss, but the Annie uh, Blackburn chapter really doesn't really talk about her. It talks really about Cooper and Caroline leading into Wyndham Earl, but then he comes back to Annie Blackburn in a different chapter. But we get the confirmation which we knew from the original series in this chapter of Horns and Haywards that Audrey had a child nine months to the day from when Mr. C... Uh, visit her in ICU which was not a big revelation but uh.
0: yeah we got that she runs a she ran a salon she came out of the uh, the, the coma pretty quickly she married a what, physician uh, implying a Charlie character which that ties into reality makes me think well all that stuff we saw maybe some of that was real like maybe she wasn't agoraphobic and that she had spent time in the mental institution and that like that maybe that last scene was uh, her having a you know a mental break and she was dancing in her mind and then boom she realizes actually she's back at the mental institution And she's been going back and forth her entire life.
1: Didn't they originally conceive the Audrey storyline to be her owning the salon? And then she was the one who was kind of taking care of uh, a Johnny. And then when little Dickie Horn came, he attacked her. And that's when Sherilyn Fenn kind of freaked out and Lynch rewrote. Her character and created Charlie and that whole you know all of those scenes which Frost signed off on which I think Lynch wrote himself and he even said in a recent interview which he found more interesting than their original conception but I think what Frost is doing here is maybe using that original conception which maybe he was spearheading um, because he's giving hard facts that Audrey had a salon Um, Was kind of doing well, even though she broke off from the family, didn't take any uh, financial support from Ben or Sylvia. And the fact that she never really let Ben see little Dickie Horn and that. uh, What was that? Why would that just because a ghost would? It doesn't really it doesn't really make any sense, does it? Especially from what Ben said that that boy was never right. And going out about his own father.
0: And they were like, uh, remember, like they were like, you know, bonding and stuff. Like well, I think in the last episode, the second the last episode of the second season, they were sitting on the fireplace. He was like sharing all the, the doctrines of the Koran. I mean, they were like together. <laughs> they were close, right? Yeah, that <laughs> I makes would think it. Ghostwood would make would make it. You know, would be a reason not to, unless somehow he uh, was involved in the bombing, which he wasn't. So, now, that
1: him. really is one of the most disappointing aspects of the final dossier is the Audrey revelation and what her. Um, what her history what her life became after the events of the original series it's just for me it's just not as interesting I don't think it can be wrapped up in just like two or three pages and um, I think what we got in the series was Lynch kind of just going on intuition and kind of creating this on the fly and I as I rewatch it it's becoming more and more fascinating I'm glad it's what we got as opposed to her like in a salon with Cooper's Yeah, Agent Cooper is picture framed in the background, and she's cutting hair. Doing doing hair. Dickie works for her, comes in,
0: like, (laughs) we're bathing shampoo. Mom, I need some money. Give me some money. He probably attacked her in the salon, probably in the original script. With all the, like, patrons aghast, all the old (laughs) with the head,
1: the hair, and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but it's just... not, And the fact that he says that she married her accountant, obviously the Charlie reference, and their marriage is by convenience. It's a financial arrangement. It's just not very interesting.
0: Well, see, I think that goes back into the whole thing that Tammy is telling this from like an FBI narrative, like objective, procedural... We're not getting into the emotion or the meat of anything. We're just getting like an overview. Yeah. And that's what I would love to see if we're going to get into all this stuff, like to get into a little bit of the heart of what's really going on, you know, with these guys, with these characters. Like Annie and Audrey are like two, you know, very, very, very you know popular main female characters and we got both of them just essentially
1: (laughs) completely insane and that's it they're crazy you would think that with the 25 intervening 25 years that they would have come up with something with uh, the audrey character because everyone loves audrey and to give her what we got which originally was kind of shocking but now in retrospect i I kind of like it and it would be hard to kind of fit her into the, the major plot with cooper and all these other events, even though they kind of did with the, with Little Dickie Horn. But reading the book, I was expecting a little bit more. So I was a little disappointed that it wasn't as fleshed out.
0: Well, yeah, at least it gives us respect for what was actually on the screen, like Lynch's second revised version when he went back and rewrote it is way more compelling and mysterious. And I like it upon, you know, I like it now. I like it all now, even though some of it is crazy and trying, but like it's super mysterious. And uh, boy, that last scene where she's, that, that smash cut is terrifying, you know? So I thought that was a great job by Lynch Turning, making lemonade out of uh, you know a poorly you know conceived scene, I think, or, or structure, storyline structure for her. So, yeah, I'd
1: much prefer having that ambiguity <laughs> and yeah, mystery yeah. as opposed to what we got yeah. in in the final dossier.
0: Yeah, sometimes we don't wonder why is there so much ambiguity. Maybe because it's <laughs> right. <laughs> it's best left unsolved. Some of these. Companies.
1: we touched a little <laughs> bit on Donahay, where she left Twin Peaks, left everyone uh-huh. behind, had this modeling career at the Ford agency. Yeah. She's a Ford model. Doing, doing coke. coke, winding up in a crack house. Yeah, for days they had to find her. Yeah. Her out. What do you think about? I mean, Donna was, she was the the really the antithesis of Laura. I mean, she was the good girl. I mean, she tried to be bad for a little bit, but you know, she was just always a good girl. And I would have expected a completely different storyline uh, for Donna. Now, I think obviously the effects of finding out that you know her father is not necessarily her father, uh, but to wind up in a crack house because of that. Didn't you think at one point she's like? And he also dated Jack Nicholson. I was
0: like, she's, <laughs> he's just describing Lara Flynn Boyle's personal life. Yeah, did he time. also <laughs> mention plastic surgery? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It felt like he was just completely nailing Lara Flynn Boyle and put, writing her kind of demise, which is what what happened to her. Unfortunately, like she did not have a great career after. But she was dating like Nicholson, and things were going great, and it just kind of all fell apart and it seemed like there was echoes of of Larry Flynn Boyle's life in his description of, of I Donna.
1: agree that's a it was another even though I liked reading about Donna in some aspects I liked the fact that she did find herself and became sober not that I don't I don't care if you know someone's drug addled or not but um, it was a nice little kind of conclusion to you know her her chapter that she reunited reconnected with her father and she got her nursing degree yeah. and she's working with him. But just the events of like you know the nineties and the aughts with her character living this kind of fast lane lifestyle uh, just seemed you know antithetical to you know her her character that we we knew in the original series. Well, it wasn't
0: just you know. Think about it. It wasn't just the fact that he realized Ben Horns her dad. It's because Laura and the whole fucking horrible shit that's gone on with that. That was the other trauma that could have sent her to doing coke. Because she, hey, she did coke, or she was doing E with <laughs> <laughs> Laura at the Roadhouse, and uh, or in the, the, the whatever that place was up in, uh, in Canada, and Firewalk with me. She probably got introduced to a little. <laughs> when
1: Laura. she got dosed, that was the first. That was uh, yeah. the gateway drug to uh, to crack. Yeah, it's probably yeah. just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're kind of like uh, merging some of these chapters, which is completely fine. But getting back to uh, uh, Doc Hayward and Eileen Hayward, apparently Ben Horn was giving Eileen Hayward like $7,500 a month through some offshore account for years until she died. But Ben Horn, I mean, he's, he's all over the place here. He's obviously had this change of heart and everything, but he's still lamenting many, many, many things. And number one would be Ghostwood. That's like Ben's biggest regret. He sold Ghostwood. And what happened to that land, Murph? Oh, God, he sold it to a private prison. <laughs> oh God. I was like,
0: thank God this got cut because I really would not have liked to see a giant private prison in the Twin Peaks area. And that, why in the fuck would anybody in Twin Peaks, that's what they got. They got the natural forest there. It seems like that would have been a huge stink. And it seems to go against what, uh, you know, everything Ben was moving towards there at the end with the pine weasel. <laughs> but a lot of pine weasels got killed in the construction of that uh, prison. Right.
1: <laughs> It was just what so happened? odd. He went into such great detail about the prison. He tied in Warden Murphy from Buckhorn, or from the Yankton Federal Prison. He worked there. So
0: Mr. Strawberry may have been a Twin Peaks prison yeah, very story well, nine. could be. But I, I also
1: read something that Frost has always been trying to incorporate this idea of a prison. I can't remember the exact source or detail, but I did come across it recently. I would have much preferred some kind of other development in Ghostwood. It does it do, it does
0: tie into the, uh, the the whole drug trade you know what I'm saying like the, the, the proliferation of all that shit you know because it all came through the prison and prison you know all that stuff so that's one angle that makes sense true
1: and all those scenes at the roadhouse with all those characters being you know seemingly drug addled talking about prison, zebras, penguins.
0: Yeah, maybe half of the Roadhouse that every night is filled with, like, people visiting, like, uh, family for prison prison.
1: <laughs> am just in town for a couple days. So our next chapter is Jerry Horn, which is very slight, but I thought it was a little too much with him, like, showing up in the Woodstock film, the documentary. Yeah, busting out of the VW van with his eight women, like, where's the party at? <laughs> with a puff of smoke surrounding him and the Nubile yeah, women. Just like Spicoli and Fast Times. And then hanging him. out with What's the uh, Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey's bunch, and, uh, Uh, but uh, the one thing I did like though uh, the one reference I liked was that he constructed along with uh, Neil Young he had these two cabins near this lake that he wanted to turn into like two speakers and then he would paddle out in the middle of the lake and (laughs) Dr. Jacoby who apparently Jerry Horn and and Jacoby are chummy and uh, Jerry Horn helped fund uh, Jacoby's Dr. Amp uh, video blog or whatever you want to call it Uh, but Jacoby had a reference in his chapter about like he heard at one point the echoes the strains of uh, Miles Davis's bitches brew one of my favorite Miles Davis pieces.
0: It's rocking. Like one, one was his left speaker, or one was his right speaker, like Cabins, and one was a subwoofer Cabins right. as well. Right.
1: And I guess Jerry has some really like you know solid weed. He had all these different strains and everything. But I mean,
0: oh yeah, what were the name of some of those strains? There was there was one that was really. I funny. didn't write them like, down. Like this, that this is not my foot. What's I think was I mean? like this is not <laughs> <Yeah>. my foot.
1: <laughs> and there was some reference to like a Frankenstein strain, but um, like Jerry speaks like four languages. I like the idea or the the, the phrasing that uh, that Frost used. With Jerry being the advanced man and Ben being the closer, you know, when all of their dealings in the past. I mean, we kind of knew that, but I kind of liked to to read that. that. But um, we get that other reference of the Horn brothers appearing in the basement of the Great Northern Hotel at like the end of part 17. Like Jerry supposedly made it back.
0: Yeah. And as soon as like Coop walked through that door and said, see, the curtain call the door closed. And boom, all of a sudden, uh, 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 Gordon is standing there with Ben and Jerry. And I was like, "Is has Jerry got like a blanket around his head? He just got back. He's naked with a, with a blanket some hot cocoa. <laughs> He's still jogging in the place. <laughs> maybe, maybe when Coop went into that door, Jerry just came out of that door. Like Jerry came back to the point. I like
1: pool. that a lot. Like what have I missed? Okay. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Now, okay oh, now we get our favorite chapter. It's the double R chapter with uh, Norma's mom. You really want to go spend a lot of time on this? Oh, you're being facetious. No, just pass. pass one on. thing yeah. I do want to Next. mention is I thought was uh,
0: <laughs> swipe it away like the giant swiped away the Palmer House in '17. Just swipe there it. There is
1: one thing interesting is that if you know about the series of the uh, or the events of the original series, that obviously Cooper well, not obviously but Cooper was supposed to wind up with Audrey, and but Kyle McLaughlin was dating. Um, Laura Flynn Boyle and there was this kind of power struggle between Laura Flynn Boyle and Sherilyn Fenn like, Sherilyn Fenn was I think m- you know, more loved by you know, the critics the fans, and, you know, pop culture at the time and I think Laura Flynn Boyle was a little jealous and if her boyfriend Agent Cooper was going to have this romance with Audrey Horne, I just I think there was this power struggle behind the scenes and it's kind of come out over time but the, the excuse was that McLaughlin didn't want to have an affair with like an 18 year old high school girl so what they did was they created the Annie character, uh, but if you look at the events of the second season with Audrey being in the the uh, one-eyed Jacks and being framed with the red drapes in the background, then I think it was leading to her going and being Miss Twin Peaks and going into the lodge and Cooper having to rescue her, and I think that would have been more interesting because the Annie subplot really wasn't. But what Frost what Frost does in this chapter is when he alludes to um, Annie being the product of Norma's father and uh, her stepmother was that she was born in 1973, which would have made her like 16 at the time of the events of the original series. That doesn't make sense. Wait a second.
0: What? Yeah, that's my age because she would
1: have been our age. So So that's just – that's the only thing I really want to get into. Other than this chapter was one of the longest, I didn't really find it that interesting. It wasn't – it really didn't seem consistent with – uh, the events of the original series, even though that subplot wasn't very interesting to begin with, it 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 differs from the secret history. When uh, Frost talked about that, there was all kinds of weird inconsistencies, and it just really it was just not. It was, I think, my my least favorite chapter in 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 the whole final well, yeah. I've got, got a point. question:
0: Did Mt. Wince actually like uh, Norma Speed? <laughs>
1: What happened? That was so, wasn't that so convoluted that she wasn't <laughs> really MT Vance but she No. I don't even you know want to get into was yeah. Real? Maybe we'll that. devote a whole podcast to this chapter when we're really kind of bored like in like you know 2019 if we don't have any season four, yet. Just MT yeah,
0: empty wins podcast. I was hope I
1: was like scared to look through the chapter list and see an empty
0: wins chapter
1: I really be very scared, I'm dedicated just
0: to that character. Okay, well there was okay, right, yeah. So there on. was
1: the Annie Blackburn chapter, but really it all, all Tammy talked about was this setup for Cooper and Carolyn and and Wyndham Earl. And he she does make a reference to Cooper's mother being a fragile character and him having to take care of her. She was very uh, she was suffering from, I think, mental and physical um, issues and that this might have been where Cooper's saving women uh, syndrome came in, because she does make a reference to Cooper could never resist a bird with a broken uh, broken wing. So then he he segues into the Winter Merle chapter, which gives us some backstory on Earl. He's like a chess master at age 14, which made me think of Kubrick. Um, Stanley Kubrick, who was a chess prodigy. But um, one of the interesting things about Wyndham Earl's backstory was that um, she makes a, Tammy makes a reference to him being a partner with Cole on the Blue Rose Group. And there's been no um, tie-in with Earl with uh, Blue Rose. There's been a tie-in with Earl with Project Blue Book. But not Blue Rose. So right. that was eh, a little curious. And even when Albert was telling Tammy and you know whatever episode that was in Buckhorn, the bar, talking about Chet Desmond and, and Philip Jeffries and Cooper and the Blue Rose and all that. No mention of Wyndham Earl. So I think, like you discussed earlier, that Wyndham Earl is a Frost creation from the original series. And he had—he was this diabolical, like Moriarty. I and mean, Frost loves like Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes, and he was going to be this version of, of Moriarty, and and it just—I think it, it coincided with Frost kind of pulling back and Lynch not being as active on set and leaving the range to Harley Peyton and Robert Angles, and I think the Fro- the the Wyndham Earl character kind of lost its uh, his evil, his diabolical mind, his evil genius, and it really became kind of absurd and really kind of came to a head when he was. You know, dressed up in the the cow, was it a cow or a horse when he
0: uh, it was a horse outfit? I think Leo was yeah, the back,
1: <laughs> <laughs> or Leo
0: was the front. I don't know who was the front or who was the back. But yeah, yeah, it was really, fun. yeah. So I think this is Frost
1: yeah, kind of coming back and kind of trying to make Wyndham Earl relevant again. But it goes into the backstory, which we know about Pittsburgh and Cooper falling in love with uh, with Caroline and Wyndham kind of pushing them together, but Wyndham being a serial killer and. Cooper finding it out, and really kind of reminded me of, of shades of Thomas Harris's book Red Dragon, um, the, the original Hannibal Lecter story. I just kind of got vibes of that, and I never really did with that storyline before. I don't know if there's any correlation to that or not, but um, really, I mean, it just kind of ends with uh, Tammy uh, going into like talking about Cooper and this eternal like saving women and kind of questioning his character and even saying, Nicole, am I being too harsh on Cooper? And, and then she makes a final um, suggestion that maybe the events of the Wyndham Earl-Caroline fiasco directly uh, relate, uh, related to his ultimate obsession with Laura Palmer. So that was think, really the first time that we mentioned, other than Shelly and Bobby with Laura, the first real kind of zing with Laura Palmer in this book.
0: Yeah, I mean, I believe all that stuff about the White Knight. We all knew that stuff. It's good to hear some backstory. But wasn't some of that in the, like the secret tapes of Cooper? Didn't we know some of this stuff about his mom and the, uh, from other books? Yeah, asked? from the
1: autobiography of uh, Dale Cooper. And then yeah. a little bit of, well, I don't know so much with the Diane tapes. But yeah, you're right. With He went into his upbringing and it's consistent with his mom. The way that he d- describes his mom in this book is consistent with the autobiography of, of Dale Cooper. And Cooper and his mom maybe seeing Bob. Like, Bob was a presence in their life at, 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 in Cooper's early age, and there was also a reference to a ring. I think Cooper's ring in the original series was his, was his mother's ring.
0: Yeah, it feels like he's trying to save someone again and again that he can't save yeah. that he lost in the yeah. past. So, yeah, we get we got it. That's good. So we go back into deep. Twin
1: Peaks, and this is where we go into Annie's story, and we go back to the episode 29 where Wyndham Earl, you know, kidnaps Annie and takes her to the lodge, and and, and Tammy doesn't really know these events other than they disappeared and Truman, she interviewed Truman or I guess heard from Truman and he was very tight lipped about it. But then that goes into the whole Annie storyline, which we've kind of discussed that. Um, Shouldn't this just have been on a different file, like an investigation <laughs> right. 25 years ago? Like,
0: why are we picking this up? Like, it's like, they just like, Oh, we'll figure it out later. Like, and now there's something to, you know, okay, well there's some, some completion here. So they had to finish the file.
1: It is interesting that I think there is a, a mention at some point that, The FBI, the Bureau, like, kind of investigated some of these events at the end of the series. But when we watched season three, it seemed like no one had any recollection of any of these events, whether Cooper, Winnemarle, Annie, Major Briggs, any of that stuff. So... You know, I, I don't know if that's maybe because of the uh, fading timeline when Cooper saved Laura or not. Fogginess on Frost's part. I, I don't know. But uh, what I did find interesting with Annie's storyline was that when she was taken to the hospital after emerging from the lodge, that like the next day she apparently was fine. And then the following day is when she uh, kind of like lapsed into a catatonic state.
0: Like Renette. Anyone check her finger dance
1: <laughs> It's good. It's a good boy. But like she, like uh, Norma was, who's like a saint. Norma in this book, Norma was just. She's always been this, this, this. You know, kind of great soul and took care of uh, Audrey or uh, Annie. She did, but Annie tried to commit suicide again, and Ben Horn helped you know a uh, fund Annie's uh you know eventual move to uh whatever psychiatric uh, hospital that she's in now Ben Horn's funding that yeah so that that's pretty much Annie's fate is that she was fine and then she wasn't and she you know he described her as being kind of catatonic but she would allow people to you know feed her and dress her and she seemed kind of blissfully unaware
0: yeah she looked like she was there and present and a lot she looked like you know, she didn't just sit there and sit in the corner and drool. She looked like she was, you know, yeah. normal and fine, right? But she wasn't. Yeah. She had a presence about her. You know, she still was still beautiful. Didn't he describe her? Still rewind. like very striking, yeah, beautiful. beautiful. And, yeah. yeah.
1: So um like we said earlier, it would have been great to have just that one scene of Annie like in this room and What if Mr. C went to visit her? <laughs> Why would he not visit her and visit Audrey? Why would he not? That's what I'm saying, yeah. It seems like he'd want to see, check her out. I mean they totally eliminated Annie from Everything except for the mention in Laura's diary. That was it. Nothing related to Cooper. Is this just Frost way to come back and go like, Amy's still here, guys. They're still
0: here. You know, even though Lynch, you know, retconned her out. Like, it's just kind of a power move on Frost's part to bring her back. Right. See, I thought if he was going to bring it back, it was going to be something a little more, you know, positive or compelling or, you know, giving her some agency over her life instead of this just being like, you know... A crushing, soul-crushing moment that she never recovered from, and that's the big reveal.
1: Yeah, but it makes more sense with her character as opposed to Audrey. Even though she had a traumatic episode with the bank explosion, she was unaware, was seemingly unaware of being raped by Mister C. Maybe it had some kind of, you know, subconscious psychological effect on her. But Annie actually went to the lodge and you know merged. So it kind of makes sense that she would be affected by that in that way. Maybe her doppel came possible, right? You know what? On a side note here. Another thing that I'm, I, I guess, disappointed by is there no mention of Maddie whatsoever. Yeah,
0: see, I loved Maddie. Maddie was one of my favorite characters, and I can't believe we just completely got completely
1: agree with you, my friend.
0: But then again, I guess you know they wrapped it up. Just the evil that meant. <laughs> Right, that's, the the that's report. it. Right. That's it. One sentence, done. No, No,
1: you and I loved Maddie in the original series, and, and we still do. I, I, like I said, I agree with you. And to not have anything in season three, I, I guess I can understand that. But it would have been perfect to have some kind of reference uh, in the final dossier. And I, like I said, I am disappointed because I think there's all kinds of speculation. She could be a Tulpa. Um, you know, I, I don't suspect so, but it would have been really nice to have some kind of reference of, of, of Maddie. At some point, especially with the timeline, well, we don't right? want
0: to go back. Though we don't want to go back to Missoula. Though you know, we'd want to see something maybe that was new. And you, you were talking to me on the phone yesterday, like talking about how, you know, Frost is not like the whole Black Lodge is not a Frost Malou. Like he wouldn't be. Ta- <laughs> he doesn't take us into the Black Lodge, right? So that would be kind of the only way you could continue the Maddie story is to enter into the lodge, which is like Lynch right. territory.
1: No, I I agree. But now with the the timeline being all fuzzy, and. Uh, we'll get to the Leland uh, change, the change in history with Leland's character. Why not have some kind of mention of, of, of Maddie? If, Le- if Laura disappeared instead of being killed, it makes sense that Maddie would have come there to console yeah. or comfort her aunt and uncle. And maybe because if Bob was still in Leland, which I presume he was, and Maddie reminded Leland Bob of Laura so much that he would have maybe killed her because – Well, I guess we'll just say it right now. Leland committed suicide one year to the day of when Laura disappeared in this new timeline. But it was curious where he was found. He was found in his car at the waterfall of the Great uh, Northern, the base of it. And that's where Maddie's body was found in the original series. The Miss Twin Peaks chapter. Our next entry is Lana Budding Milford, who will perform a dance of uh, contortionistic jazz exotica. Well, one thing we got to admit, <laughs> you just knew that Frost could not resist a Trump reference, right? Oh, yeah. No, I kind of like the
0: Trump reference. Go ahead. Well, okay. he did. He it's kind fun. of,
1: he added in, like, so he mentions Dougie Milford because... That, he was the main character of the secret history of Twin Peaks um, he was the original archivist and he was a character in the original series he was married to Lana but he shoehorns in the, the jade ring being found among Dougie's possessions after his body was found and then Dougie Milford, Dougie Milford. Yeah, Dougie, not not Dougie Jones Cooper, but um, and then going on with Lana's storyline, eventually she's dating all these you know influential men, and she winds up dating Trump. And there's this photo of Lana with Trump, and Trump has the Owl Cave ring. The on ring, speaker.
0: bum bum bum. Yeah, you, you all expect that. Oh, That's not right. But the fact it? that
1: Lana is this kind of possessor of the the Owl Cave ring is just completely farcical to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I could have done right. with that, Lana. So let's, uh, as dark. you suggest, let's swipe left
1: up. I love that. And go into yeah, uh, Jacoby's chapter. That. The Jacoby thing basically gives a timeline of his character. And he really spends a lot of time with Jacoby. And I think because Frost is using the Jacoby character as kind of a mouthpiece for some of maybe his own uh, political or personal beliefs. And we go through all this stuff where, you know, Jacoby goes on this. I wouldn't say vision quest, but you know, he's obviously you know deeply spiritual. We're talking, he goes to Hawaii after he loses his license in Twin Peaks and is dealing with some like shamans and these little people, these pygmies. And then he winds up in Amsterdam with some guru named Dr. Little Poops which I thought was interesting translation. Yeah, yeah right. that's good. I like that. Little. That's
0: probably real. It's probably a true little like uh, Amsterdam. Yeah,
1: like kind of there's this progressive, like a progressive think tank, and I think they were trying to find alternative ways on raising human consciousness before we blew this, blew all this shit up. He was in Florida with the whole, like, 2000 election, the Hanging Chad. And he was in uh, New York during 9-11 <laughs> with another symposium on, like, anthropological shamanism. and Touring with the dead. Oh, yeah, that. that's right. He was touring with Jerry Garcia and the dead. Did he, like, give him a mantra or something? Doesn't he have a <laughs> central <laughs> influence on that? Isn't that Jeff Goldblum's line in Annie Hall? Like, what's my mantra? Yeah, I forgot yeah. my mantra.
0: I forgot my mantra. But,
1: yeah. uh... So then he goes. Uh, he winds up back into Twin Peaks, and he starts his, you know, his, his show, the Doctor Amp show, with the help of Jerry, and uh, and uh, I think he compares him to Pro- Prospero at some point. I mean, I liked the chapter. I liked the kind of evolution or the, you know, the the the, the breakdown of uh, Jacoby's backstory. I've always liked Jacoby. I liked his character in season three. I just think that um, maybe it should have kind of ended with that first Doctor Amp rant, and then maybe bring him back with Nadine because I did like that scene with the shovel. Um, but it was you know it was interesting but not as interesting as some of the other chapters.
0: Yeah, some of it was like con- excruciating detail. I thought it was almost as excruciating as watching him paint the gold. Yeah, temples. but
1: don't you love that scene now? <laughs> like watching it again.
0: Yeah. No, I mean I don't. I'm not sitting here editing, <laughs> but I, I definitely don't fast forward through it. I kind of enjoy the process of like watching him do the, t- the two coats. You gotta have that it's, second coat, Tom. It's imperative.
1: Yeah. Uh, but he also goes into in the Jacobi chapter. He has this like postscript where he goes into James' story and. James and Evelyn Marsh. There's all this stuff, and he compares it to a James Cain novel. Basically, James like it gets like kind of trapped by the prosecutor, and kind of freaks out and flees. And a bench warrant is issued, and he winds up in Baja and. Uh, winds up working on a Lamborghini Diablo for some kind of cartel capo and there's this shootout and he winds up in like a Mexican jail and Sheriff Harry Truman has to help get him out and then winds up back in Twin Peaks at the Big Ed's gas farm and then he's now a security guard uh, at the Great Northern and he drives a Ford Focus which I thought was a nice little touch at the end which is really deeply sad The next chapter is Margaret Coulson. You were telling me there really isn't really anything really big in this scene other than uh, going over that you know she died of lung cancer and at her uh, funeral like pretty much everyone attended. And I think uh, Hawk gave the eulogy. And you told me that this really affected you when you read it.
0: Well, I don't say really affected me, but I definitely was moved. I was like, this is the, her final speech to it. She gave us a, you know, a speech, and I thought that was a moving speech. And we're going to miss her. I think she was a very uh, – she's a beacon of light. And wisdom, and she always seemed to touch me, uh, you know, on an emotional heart level. And she was kind of like, uh, you know, portending things to come, like all the shit she said. Most of it came true, actually, not all of it. There's fire where you're going. There's some things that she didn't say that didn't come true. But I, yeah, it was a good, it was a good send off. And I definitely got a little, little watery eyed as I do I tend to do. But yeah, that was a
1: good. Yeah, and I love the final part. touch, which yeah, is which is something that um, kind of is related to your hope was that. The log, what would happen to the log? You were hoping that the log would be deputized. Deputized to be, yeah, brought and, in as a psychic at the, with, the, with the police
0: department. But now it's, what is it on? Uh, yeah, it, right. On, Hawk has it, right? <laughs> so, and Hawk. he doesn't wake up sleepy and throw it in the fire one night when he's like, you know, trying to put killing on. Well, that leads he's into. would scream. Yeah. no. no.
1: Well, that leads into uh, the oh, next shit. chapter, which is Harry Truman, which is very slight as well, which I was a little disappointed because Harry also, I think with Audrey and Cooper, the iconic characters of the original series, we do find out it is cancer that you know Truman is suffering from and that his brother came back for two years to kind of help out, to kind of bridge... The transition to Hawk, who is going to be the new sheriff. And uh, it seemed a little bit, uh, and I say tragic. Obviously, Truman was affected by Josie's death, but I like the line that Tammy insinuates that maybe even more so that he was affected by Cooper's disappearance because there was a serious bromance, as they say, between Cooper and Truman, which I think was genuine.
0: Yeah, that would fuck me up too, man. I think that was like, that definitely did fuck with him, I think. Wasn't he keep certain? Wasn't he? He kept kept the investigation going all these years. He was still trying to figure it out.
1: And I could see for the the things that he saw that night. I mean, he saw Cooper go into the lodge. He saw him emerge, and I think it really kind of fucked with his head. Even though he knew about the evil in the woods, he was a bookhouse boy. But to actually see that, because at one point he did say to Cooper, "I've had enough of the mumbo jumbo, the dancing dwarves, the giants." So there's kind of this vacillation with Truman with that perceived evil out there and Cooper's ultimate disappearance and what he saw really kind of affecting him and fucking him up over the insinuating or the uh, uh, intervening twenty five years.
0: You would think that like if he was doing this like lifelong uh, investigation on his own, that maybe he came up with little clues. There could have been a scene where they went out to like uh, a him and talk about talk to Harry on his deathbed, and Harry could give him a couple clues about his Cooper private Cooper yeah. investigation. You would think that could happen, but maybe there was no clues. Maybe he discovered nothing. Yeah, but there is You're one like.
1: part in the story where I think that Tammy goes to talk to Truman about, I think, related to Annie, if I'm not mistaken, which would have been related to the events at, at you know at the end of the series, episode 29, and, and he would not go into detail. So maybe his investigation was internal.
0: Yeah, do you think, like, Harry and, and Hawk, like, spent many hours at Glastonbury Grove, like, walking, trying to walk through the curtains that weren't there? Like, just do it again. Step through. Step through. And, nope, just step through again. Like, stepping over the the, the black oil pot and just, damn it, doesn't work. This thing is not open. They should have just asked Major Briggs. Major Briggs knew the time. He should have said, tell, tell. He should have. They should have. Uh, he should have spoken. Well, I guess he died, though. See, that was the thing. Major Briggs got whacked. So well, that's a great
1: segue, thing my friend. Sense. That is the next chapter. And this, I think, is where we're going to get into the meat um, of our discussion of the final dossier. We go into a a lot of detail related to the Major Briggs storyline.
0: It almost confirms that Cooper killed Major Briggs. That's what Tammy's assumption is at the zone. That it wasn't like uh, Major Briggs' head ascending up in this beautiful ceremonial thing inside the zone. That it was actually uh, it was a murder. and That that was maybe like... Matthew Lillard's impression of it, you know, but he wasn't seeing the real action, the real killing that was going on, that Ruth and uh, and uh, yeah, and Major Briggs got killed. Well, by the yeah, the and big and thing Cedar.
1: with that uh, description of the location, <clears throat> I always assume from the events of the series that Hastings and Ruth went into the zone and that's where they saw Major Briggs like hibernating. And um, and then the events played out where the woodsman and Mr. C uh, also entered the uh, the zone, and that's when the shit went down. But there's a passage in here where I, I mean, it, it seems very clear to me was that Hastings and Ruth went to the location and met Briggs in that lot, and they were not in the zone. And what happened was on the second time they went to visit him because the first time is where, Briggs told them to hack into the secret military database um, and get the coordinates. And then the second time they returned with the coordinates that they were outside of the zone. And then when Hastings is describing Briggs floating up and then his head you know drifting away, that it was he was going into the zone at that point. That's what Tammy's describing. But then later, she says that Mr. C, she thinks that Mr. C, Showed up um, there along with maybe the dirty, you know, bearded men and actually killed Major Briggs or decapitated uh, Briggs and Ruth. So there is like an inconsistency within just like a couple of pages. So I like the idea that they were they were actually visiting outside of the zone, and the last image we see of Briggs is actually disappearing into the vortex or his head, and then his body is left, and the woodsman and Mister C like kill. Um, Ruth, or decapitate her and hold Hastings down and ask about Phyllis. That seems more interesting to me. So that is very curious. So in
0: this like line, so in, in theory, they would just like pick up the body of Briggs and Ruth's head, put it in the car, drive it to <laughs> Ruth's house, and stage it like the woodsman and Coop. And they're going, no, nope, to the left, and the woodsman's moving at half an inch, no, nope, to the right, left, no, nope, move the arm here, there, right. Like spent two hours. Well, yeah, that, and it. also
1: <laughs> they say that Hastings was found.
0: What at the site? Wait, how was he found though? No one found him. Like, he wasn't arrested. He woke up and went home, right? There's no, like, report that he was found at the site. No, of the story. in the
1: series, he clearly states that in the series. he found himself at home. Like, he woke up and he thought it was like a dream, even though he knew it was, like, happening. But um, there was no messi- uh, mention of him actually just there by himself with, you know, two corpses. Um, that, uh, so that's another inconsistency.
0: Well, maybe he woke up and he was there and all the bodies had been taken by the woodsman and Cooper to get staged. He was just like, what the fuck happened? And then just like walked home right. <laughs> and didn't know what happened. And then like, it's maybe slowly started to come over him, but that he just, that's what happened that he wasn't like, you know, he just didn't know what the fuck happened, but he, maybe he even like forgot about that. Maybe he thought it was all a dream when he got home. Cause if there's no ramifications, but I would think, you know, if you're, if you wake up in the lot, <laughs> he would be like, that was no dream. Right. There'd probably be blood on the well, ground as well. Would Davenport's <laughs> corpse There'd be, be there as well? Because it was right there outside of the zone, right? Well, no, it got sucked up. And apparently, I would think that the, the her body had been in the zone this entire time. And that's it wasn't it had not been sitting outside. It was in perfect condition or whatever. It wasn't like decayed and bloated and eaten by wolves. So you the think what way, happened was when Cole was the whole time.
1: going into the zone, came in, boop, then oh, okay. out came well, that her. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. Well, one thing that before uh, we go too much further into this. What Tammy describes in greater detail or you know are the events after the original series, and when the secret history of Twin Peaks ended with Major Briggs going to his listening post Alpha and Mr. C apparently like tracking him down, and there's all this uh, speculation on Briggs amassing all this secret material, uh, knowing that Mr. C is after him and kind of like maybe staging like this ransacking. Of listening post alpha, and but then she also says that she's convinced that maybe Mister C was the one responsible for uh, setting the fire. But what happened is is that Briggs did not die at listening post alpha. I thought that was the case. I think they found. I thought they found like a charred body there, but his body was found in a car, like at the bottom of a canyon with some loose teeth, with a couple teeth. So did Major Briggs have this like you know uh, just a spare body around and just took out some of his teeth and put it in and. That was it? Uh,
0: well, that's a good question. Maybe, like, Mr. C tortured him in listening post-alpha, pulled a few teeth out before uh, <laughs> uh, he escaped, and then there was somehow, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, dude. That doesn't make any sense. But it would have been an interesting scene. Wouldn't you like to have seen the cat and mouse, Mr. C versus Major Briggs, trying to, like, you know, evade each other here? Because I like the idea that, like, that she mentioned, like, that he carried the archive with him into the zone and that he bu- jumped into a portal right there. Like, he wa- that's, where, that's how he escaped. Probably the one at Jack Rout's Palace, the one that we've seen with now. I think and, that is exactly see, correct exact because one. it's so
1: close in proximity to Listening Post Alpha. And I think she even says that yeah. he took the dossier with him and had it with him all these years. And it was found in Ruth Davenport's basement, like weeks after the bodies were found. So that was, we didn't know for sure if that was the case. So that was that was one little riddle that, that was solved. But... Um, there was another thing that she mentioned related to Dougie Milford and Briggs when they had this great conversation at the end of the Secret History of Twin Peaks. Where I think Dougie Milford is telling Briggs like you can ask me like just a couple of questions like that I'll reveal just one time. And uh, I can't remember exactly what they said, but what she's uh, insinuating here in uh, one of these latter chapters is that maybe what Dougie Milford and Briggs discovered with all of these uh, you know, uh, facts and coordinates and all this intelligence over the years that what they really, really possessed was far greater and more dangerous than what they uh, had you know, maybe originally suspected and that that had to be in, in either destroyed or protected at all, all, at all costs because she really, what she does is she's segwaying into Mr. C's storyline in the intervening 25 years. and
0: Yeah, I mean, I think maybe their entire like research was condensed down 20 years into those coordinates. Like, that's all they were doing was trying to find those coordinates. So at the end, all I'd take with them was the coordinates. Yeah, but she... All their years of research because they were trying to figure out what was where where all that shit was coming from the woods, Well, they right? found it, but well, they, they also it.
1: apparently what Tammy is saying is, is what Briggs did was that he was... She's setting up the, the whole time jump, the whole Doctor Who quantum leap thing with Philip Jeffries, well, with Major Briggs first, then Jeffries, and then with Cooper. And what Briggs is doing is that he apparently, through the, the portals, which Tammy is having a hard time like, understanding and grasping, that these characters, and first she's talking about Briggs able to go forwards and backwards in time, but it affects their, uh, their state of mind where they, there's this the confusion. And it's more so with Jeffries and and Cooper, ultimately. But with Briggs, what she says at one point is related to the coordinates that he wanted Hastings and Ruth to get, that he might have planted that in the servers of the Blue Rose or the Bureau to make it accessible to them. And it seemed like from what I read that Briggs purposely sought out Hastings and Ruth for this task. Whereas in the series, I thought it was just these little like nerdy detectives who started this blog, The Search for the Zone, and just happened upon the Major. It seems like what Frost is doing is he's kind of reversing that, that this is another part of Major Briggs like grand design plot. And I think what it's ultimately leading to is false coordinates or at least trapping Mr. C. Well, why would he reach
0: out to them, two high school <laughs> teachers, like to be able to hack into the FBI? Like, why would they think the two high school teachers... that I completely agree with ha- you. But FBI? doesn't Tammy even how do they say do
1: that she's kind of incredulous and said, how the hell are two high school like teachers able to do this? What are they like, Russian hackers or something? She's very incredulous with it. So I completely agree with you. I don't have any answer. It's very convoluted. But what I want to do is I want to get into the Mr. C storyline. So Mr. C, for 25 years was the head of this syndicate that was involved in everything ex- you know, except for, like, politics. And and there are references or paper trails of, of Cooper or Mr. C in, like, Buenos Aires and island in Cyprus.
0: Can you imagine the investigation that would have to take place right. just to come up with that information? That would be a giant, like, <laughs> right. Manuel Noriega-like type of yeah, serious Narcos episode, right. a whole series. <laughs> Coming up with just that, Tammy is a crack expert. She sold Yeah, a quick, she did. Too. This is
1: just a few weeks after the events. She didn't cover that shit.
0: Maybe she did it like in 17 or whenever they figured out uh, Dougie was Coop. Like, she just looked at the screen and just became magically <laughs> omnipotent of all the files that were completed.
1: Well, did you like the touch of like <laughs> the two, uh, the only two references to Mr. C or photos? Um, the first one was that shot of him in, in, in Rio. And d- she says that yeah, it might have Rio. been digitally altered or photoshopped. Because it totally certainly shop. looked that way. But then the other one was the glass box. And then she really does, or Frost really kind of hammers home, that Mr. C. that was his operation. He even says that that glass box was constructed to trap a demon. How would she know Giddy. that? Right, how would you know any of this shit? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's almost like the creator of the
0: series gave her some inside information. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how she knows this stuff. Do you think there was like did they did they ever get a video of Cooper coming through the portal? Because then there's somebody who's monitoring and be like, Holy shit, boss, that's you, boss. <laughs> right. Boss. I just saw you. No, but through she the does portal.
1: say at one point when she brings up the, the whole New York setting, the glass box, that Albert and Cole were investigating I'm assuming that murder. Which obviously we got you know uh, a reference to in part three, but it didn't seem like Cole and Albert had any you know information on it. They were just reacting to what Tammy was, um, you know, the information that she was giving them. But she does say also that th- the growing fortune, all these billions of dollars that Mister C is amassing, is related to one thing: the research, like hunting something. And she attributes to Briggs and the coordinates.
0: She wants to, uh, yeah. He wants to trap. He wants to trap Judy. Who is Judy?
1: Does Judy want something from me? And uh, do a little Judy and. Yeah, but she does. She's, water, she's starting to make these leaps, right? Where she's talking about like all these portals, and then she's like trying to she's putting these pieces together, and she's like, "What if this? And what if this? And then what she's saying is, is that if Mister C was after Briggs, and Briggs was going, you know, portal hopping, and it was. All these billions of dollars related to this glass box and this demon. Like, what if he was looking for the most important portal of all, the Grand Central Station of Portals? So, um, but then she like kind of posits, like, what is he after? Is he after immortality? She doesn't know. But then that leads right into Philip Jeffries. We're now getting into the part of the story which. Correlates or connects with Firewalk with Me. And we know that Mark Frost was not associated with Firewalk with Me. When they're collaborating together, when he's collaborating with Lynch, obviously, um, I think we have this perfect union here. But now we have Mark Frost going on his own talking about things Lynch created Philip Jeffries, The Blue Rose, um, uh, The Ring, all Lynch creations. And here, Frost has incorporated these elements not only in the secret history but now here in the final dossier and what we're getting is a different interpretation of the the mythology and I think it's playing more on kind of this literary side like Frost is tying it to um, like Madame Blavatsky and you know he'll he'll tie it into uh, other you know the Sumerian text when he was talking about um, Jaude and then Beelzebub I don't think that Lynch, is in, his intention is, is to really connect things. I think he works strictly from like his ideas. I'm not saying that he doesn't tie certain things together with um, his personal beliefs or whatever, but I think Frost is more intentional with that. And when you read it, it's not as mysterious as when you're seeing um, a Lynch production. And it doesn't help that the chapter is so slight and really what we're doing is we're talking a little bit about jeffrey's but it's really all about judy and it segues into the next chapter which is the judy chapter
0: yep we got a whole chapter on judy there's a big revelation tom and That's what is it i thought or i felt might happen well that uh, her name is uh, sarah judith <laughs> the palmer dude sarah's the little girl down the lane the bug-eating girl from episode eight Holy shit. Whoa. Well, what do you think Lynch with What do you think about, about that? that? Uh you like you told too much, buddy. You're going too far. You're off the reservation. I would think he's probably going I was shocked when I saw that. I loved it, but then after talking to you, you're like, too – Lynch doesn't agree <laughs> with this shit. And so, I'm um, now I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of I don't I mean, I would I would it would be compelling to me to go with that. I think I talked about this to you last night that like uh, Grace, Grace Sabreski and Sarah Palmer I would love for whole all of season 4 to be her as the big bad. Like and just because she's so such a wonderful underused character and actor, and if you throw the Judy thing into it, I think it'd be a wonderful uh, new big baddie uh, for season four. So I love it, but you know I don't know
1: if Lynch loves it, (laughs) and I'm not and I'm not sure if that would be something that we would get. For me, there's just all these inconsistencies with uh, with Sarah being the harbinger of Jaudet. I mean, I still think what is inside of her obviously is that bug, and I think that bug. Has a very similar nose to the Jumpy Man. And then we got that superimposition of Sarah over the Jumpy Man. And that maybe that's what the Jumpy Man is a representation of one of these bugs. And that's what is inside of Sarah Palmer right now.
0: Like a strain of bug demon. Like the Jumpy Man is that bug demon that there was like a bunch of them in the eggs. And they said 12 people had the, the fainting spell from the music yeah. in episode eight with their DJ. That there's a bunch of
1: Sarahs out there. That made me think of, like, A Village of the Damned, uh, this movie that came out in the 60s, which is kind of similar with this town going in this kind of mass hypnosis, and these women, all like, these random women waking up, like, pregnant. They've been inseminated by some you know, alien you know, seed. And that's kind of what, uh, what I read into with the New Mexico um, little subplot from 1956, that Sarah is not the only one. But... He does go into all this detail though about Joo maybe
0: Jio is is the experiment and mother and that Judy maybe that's a Sarah's alter ego whenever she takes her face off
1: well don't you think that a Judy bunch of Judy's, though, with the bugs I don't know well the, okay so do you think that ties into the blue Rose investigation that has been going on since 1975 say hypothetically like the Lois Duffy situation that we got a reference to in the last series that there was a double and one of them disappeared and I'm like the Blue Rose. Do you think that maybe the Blue Rose could be tied to these children of Jaude, which play uh, host to these bug parasites?
0: Well, yeah, but they didn't mention it in the series. <laughs> you know, no, so I'm just sure. <laughs> not.
1: Maybe in future seasons.
0: Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely possible. Like, maybe that's what's, what what inevitably would come to pass with, the, you know, all the Tulpa stuff is that it ties back into all these, like, Judy children, Judy bug children that are floating around the world and causing havoc.
1: i you.
0: Lynch and Frost uh, are, you know, they're not dancing or they're not in sync as well as, like, uh, Judy and Bob are inside of uh, Sarah and Leland when they're dancing around on the dance floor. Yeah, like Fred and fun. Ginger. Where are the cookies? Yeah, Fred and Ginger, yeah. they've got to get in sync. Yeah, Judy and Bob can dance. Yeah. They're going to dance together.
1: It was in Buenos Aires in 1986 before he disappeared. And what Tammy says is that Philip Jeffries was on like this case. He was investigating uh, this international criminal enterprise. And the main figurehead of that enterprise was Judy. So it doesn't make any sense that that would be Sarah Palmer. I think that's the whole uh, misinterpretation uh, in in the series that we saw. Is that Judy is the harbinger of evil, like the mother of the experiment? I think that Jaude is this ultimate evil, is this succubus, is this demon? But what we're seeing here with all these, like with our humans being possessed, like Sarah Leland, that it's all from these eggs. That it's the human manifestation, and they just reference. Jaude as Judy and what Judy is in this series and even in this book in my opinion is just like this human manifestation of Jaude and like you said that there I think are many many Judy's so to think that Sarah Palmer is the mother the experiment what we saw in part eight I I think is I never uh, uh, subscribe to that theory I still don't like I said I think it's more part and parcel with maybe the bug obviously and maybe being tied to the jumping man.
0: Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. I think that all is—it's clear that that thing is the same thing. All J- Judy the bu- the jumping or uh, Judy the box monster like mother—that that's all one thing, and that Jao Day, uh, excuse me—I think Jao Day, since we're getting specific—is that creature, and that all the people that ate the bugs are like uh, Jao Day's children, right? Exactly. Judy's. I totally
1: agree out. with that. Yeah. So how does that affect your interpretation of the finale of Cooper bringing? Laura to her home is is, is Judy is Day in that house or is it just Judy? Well, Judy,
0: uh, uh, Sarah, a children of Day, is it's like having Bob inside of you. So yeah, hell yeah, Jaudet is there because Jaudet inhabits Sarah and is probably inhabiting that Tremond lady as well. Um, so I think Jow, Day can inhabit. Uh, anybody who accepts it's like the devil you know you can worship the devil and if you believe in it so you can worship Jiao De, or if you're taken or you're whatever it is whatever ritual has to go into it but i think it can affect a bunch of different people and uh yeah i still think the tremont house or the palmer house was uh, judy's house and it still is
1: Jiao day is like the female form it's like this wandering demon that escaped from the underworld and the whole thing that which tammy is is finding out like through the you know all these you know files or just putting pieces together from Jeffries and on and, and Briggs is that the, according to this ancient like you know mythology is that if Jouda and the Beals of Baal they unite it will mean the end of the world, which if you put it in like like character form from Twin Peaks you think like okay well Sarah Palmer is host of of of, Jowde, of Judy and Leland is a host of Bob that they actually did come together maybe that's why they did Sarah is no, the you moon mean child Laura. Sarah is
0: the antichrist or, or, or Laura is yeah Laura yeah it is Laura she is the one yeah, but, but see, not these, in a good way that's happened already like in you know the 80s maybe Laura ended the world and she
1: blew out the light she just blew <laughs> out the world's lights it's over that's very that's bleak it. my friend that's very bleak yeah well, let's before we get into the ending, let's talk a little bit more about Jeffrey's bit leading into Ray Monroe. He's got his own chapter, and uh, really one of the more interesting things about uh, Ray Monroe is the backstory of the Dutchman's Lodge, uh, which I thought was a nice touch which was... Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, which was... I think it's in uh, Montana, and it's it lies directly between Missoula and Twin Peaks. Missoula, obviously, where Maddie's from, and that's where Lynch was born. But uh, one of the things that Tammy says that they found on Ray was this matchbook for the Dutchman's Lodge and it seemed like very new and the Dutchman's Lodge had been raised uh, in like 1967 It, it no longer exists but what we saw of Ray at the farm when he died he actually went to the Black Lodge because he had the ring on but that must have just been his spirit right his body had to have been left behind
0: yeah, but how did she get her hands in his pocket to investigate? Like weeks later, like they probably like I don't that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> how did Tammy get her hands on Ray's body like that and be able to find that matchbook? And is that matchbook actually like advertising from the convenience store? Like convenience store has some matchbooks made up and
1: yeah, I, that doesn't really yeah. And the idea that Ray actually went to the convenience <laughs> store to yeah. meet with Jeffries because what we're getting at is Jeffries is still associated with the Blue Rose Task Force and his angle was getting Ray Monroe involved as an informant to infiltrate Mr. C's uh, inner circle to ultimately like take him down but there's still a lot of inconsistencies with that um, because Cole knows of Ray being an informant and but doesn't know of Jeffrey's involvement in anything and we had the whole thing with Ray trying to kill Mr. C and him and Daria are going to split $500,000. How could Jeffries give them $500,000 when he's in like a tea kettle in the convenience store? I guess maybe he could wire them some money. He could dial something. Yeah, you know. he's got PayPal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, it goes back to the whole thing in part two, like the, 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 who called Cooper and pretended to be Jeffries, uh in part two. Like, and I don't think that was Jeffries. I think it was somebody pretending to be Jeffries that was working with Ray. But then they keep saying they're so certain that it was a part of the Blue Rose Task Force. Well, who else would it be? Albert? <laughs> it sounded like Albert, didn't it? But uh, there's not many other candidates. I think like the two... Albert would to
1: be the only other person. Yeah, the two candidates, I think, would be the one-armed man Jeffries, and...
0: Who? one our man. Philip Jeffries, one our man.
1: And Jauday. Yeah. Or Albert? (laughs) Well, you still want to. You're still holding holding out hope for the. Well, that's because
0: Tammy is so certain that like whoever was working with was a part of the Blue Rose Task Force, so it had to be somebody who had the inside intel or whatever, right? Yeah, one of them.
1: Yeah. Well, the whole thing with Jeffries though is that when you go backwards and forwards in time, apparently your brains get scrambled and you don't know when you are or where you are or even when. Is there a cut
0: scene where like Philip Jeffries, the tea kettle, was out by the payphone at the convenience store making the call?
1: <laughs> There's the whole phone motif with the convenience store, and then, you know, that's right. Cars. He had a
0: phone in the room. That's right. So maybe he did. Right. <laughs> well, I feel like it's just a lot of rehashing and stuff that I already knew. I don't feel like I learned anything <laughs> except for that he carved Jo ja- put the U and the Jout Day on the wall in Argentina, <laughs> which I could visualize immediately as like a scene where the light- electrical lights are flashing and he's freaking out. And like Christmas Dale <laughs> and Walden Hart just like screaming and like sit- carving that and like, you know, trying to get the glove. Um,
1: yeah. yeah but the whole thing with like Jeffries as well like she really hammers it home that he's distraught over finding out what year it is in Firewalk With Me and that really ties in with Cooper at the end of part 18 what year it is I mean it, I think it's tying into a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about after the series of, of right, these already, yeah. detectives going backwards and forwards in time to try to alter these events or try to save or prevent or find certain things and it's it's just a, it's a turning into like a clusterfuck, and I think there's actually a line that Albert is ascribed to uh, to uh, Albert at some point where he describes the end of the series of uh, uh, the end of uh, episode uh, seventeen is this multi dimensional clusterfuck, and it just sounds I mean that's what kind of like from reading this book that what we're we're getting with uh, the, the, blues, the Blue Rose agents.
0: Yeah, they're not very uh, together. They've got all kinds of little side projects going on. They're not telling shit to each other. There's mysterious orders coming from the Blue Rose Task Force that no one knows where it came from.
1: It seemed like Jeffries was really um, focused in on Mr. C's storyline and trying to prevent him from meeting up with, you know, Jaude or Judy. Because if Jeffries was, that was his investigation before he disappeared. And, and 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 Frost even kind of says this that you know Cole um, said about Jeffries that he was like a man out of time or something or like the world was not enough for him. Yeah, this world like wasn't enough too. for him. That, I like that. That Jeffries is like kind of that's obsessed good. with this notion of this 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 evil out in the world and it's kind of manifested itself in some of these people and that's what he's been investigating and he's just doing what he can to prevent. Like it's like he has his own chessboard. We talked about. The fireman and, and De playing chess like the seven seal, but it's like he's got his chessboard, and Major Briggs has his chessboard as well. And, and and there's all these moving pieces uh everywhere. So um it's it there's I mean, I feel like you know, we're just scratching the surface. Where are we going? We're going home. Okay, so the final chapter is entitled Today. Um, she really, I think, starts off with the events in Part 17 at the Sheriff's Station because she was one of the 20 or so witnesses to see the shit go down, but she never mentions any other uh, re- anything related to the bubble, like with Bob. She just says like it was some dark object, right?
0: Yeah, she didn't say that it was like a dark object. She didn't seem to see the Bob face or all the action that went down. She said, like, I don't, don't get me started about the guy with the green glove, but... Uh, I don't know, she didn't describe that event <laughs> accurately <laughs> in the way we remember it.
1: Right, and she also didn't mention NATO there because they actually arrived at the sheriff's station before NATO transformed into Diane. So when Tammy goes on about uh, the lights going down and Cooper and Cole disappearing and going to the Great Northern Furnace Room, in one version she has Diane going with them, and then another version she has Diane remaining at the sheriff's station and also disappearing.
0: So, Wait, was she even there when Bob did the whole thing with
1: Freddie? Who? Tammy. Did they, they arrive later? Yeah, they, they, oh, you're right. They arrived after. They weren't even there for that, yeah. Right, they arrived after that, yeah. But she did mention Freddie, the kid with the green glove. So,
0: yeah, but because all she sh- she showed up late and he was like, oh, I did my destiny, I killed a floating head of Bob! And she's like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? I wasn't here for that. So,
1: right. So what? what's... <laughs> with an insane witness. <laughs> <laughs> so what's with the... In her mind. The Diane angle there? Um, no mention of, of NATO and staying at the sheriff's station when Cooper and Cole disappear, but then also going with Cooper and Cole to the furnace room. There's, it's like these two timelines that what he's doing here, it's got to be intentional, that there's two versions. There's the, uh, the, the official and the unofficial versions of the story here. Um, and even when he does or Tammy does talk about, I guess, Cole's story of uh, the events that he saw go down at the uh, or in the basement of the Great uh, Northern Hotel is that he actually saw Cooper go down a corridor and disappear. In the series, he just saw Cooper open the door, and shut it behind him. So it's like Cole saw the corridor of the convenience store, which was beneath or the furnace room of the Great Northern Hotel. I wish that she had
0: she had mentioned the. All she said was that you had parting words with him. I would have said like, dude, he only left i the fucking line. See what the curtain call. <laughs> I would have included that in the goddamn report because what does that mean now?
1: Through the darkness of future past magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds fire walk with me do you remember why Tammy went and checked on the old records of like the Twin uh, Twin Peaks Gazette
0: I think she went to go look back to see the the story, maybe about Cooper leaving or his disappearance. Oh, they, like, they were like, yeah, in the disappearance story, they said it was he was known for being in town because of the disappearance of Laura, and that's sort of how she got it. I think that's that's what I remember. Okay, least. and
1: then when she's reading the the story, she realizes that the events have changed. Laura was no longer killed; she disappeared. Yes, so
0: that's the Which big is, whammy. That's the big retcon. That's basically Frost is is double da- doubling down in the part seventeen retcon it didn't happen it was the he did it he, he erased it even tammy's hands start shaking at the end like <laughs> getting scrambled she had to get the hell out of town because she was forgetting everyone's forgetting the sheriff everybody the sheriff station's forgotten like she even did the research right tell it to go keep going about you know, i think we already mentioned this but the leland thing so there's a whole nother alternate history that she describes through there all she did was Look at the Gazette on microfiche. Well, then,
1: she, like you said, she called the sheriff station, and they seem to be confused about the whole... Laura who? <laughs> right, but then they agree. They go, yeah, that's kind of how we remember it, meaning that she disappeared. But apparently, Renette still was attacked, and Cooper went to Twin Peaks to investigate, but he didn't stay very long. Now, we don't know how long that was. In the series, he was there for about a month because each episode was a day, But if he still entered the lodge, if the events with Annie took place.
0: I don't know, but it's interesting to think about if he retconned her death out of existence and it never happened. Maybe he could have retconned his entire, you know, reason to go to Twin Peaks had to happen. So he could have retconned everything. You know what I mean? Like retconned himself out of existence in some
1: weird way. You know what I mean? Right. Now he's stuck. He's stuck in time. He's
0: out of time. He's like Billy Pilgrim
1: seeing Cooper save Laura, and it's slowly starting to change the events. Even Philip Jeffries um, coming to Philadelphia in 1989 in the scene in Fire Walk With Me, he was coming from a different time. So it would not only affect Jeffries, it would affect everyone that he came into contact with. And I think that's why everyone's memories are fuzzy, is when you start manipulating time not only your yourself, but everyone else, and I think that plays into the series, and that's what we're getting. I think that even though we didn't see Cooper save Laura until part seventeen, that did happen in nineteen eighty nine. That it the the characters, some of the characters in the story, or maybe even you know the town itself, was feeling the effects of it, even though it hadn't happened yet. Because I think on one timeline, it it had to have ha- had to have happened. I mean, that gets into the whole paradox thing, right? Um,
0: yeah, it had to have happened for it to have not happened right. because he erased something, so at some point it happened. Yeah.
1: Okay, so now that Cooper has saved Laura, so the events of, of Part 18, he is taking her to her home, but he is acting very un-Cooper-like. And we've talked about this in several podcasts um, after the series, is that, um, that Cooper is out of time. He's out of place. And I think just the notion of him being richer, describing a you know alter ego to cooper is just a way of kind of showing or indicating that this is not the Dale Cooper that we all know and love the one that we saw very very briefly in in season 3 for like you know probably all of like you know 12 minutes of screen time that's all we got of the Dale Cooper that we know and love i think that version of cooper no longer exists or was part of this dream, or never leaving the lodge, really his whole experience from part three three through 16. And what we're seeing here in part 18, with him actually exiting the lodge, seeing Diane and going on this journey to find Laura and to bring her to Twin Peaks, is Cooper with the dweller on the threshold that Tammy talks about um, in one of the earlier chapters within him, something that he never did in the original series. Uh, well, he he met his shadow self, the dweller on the threshold, but he failed, and he his penance was twenty five years in the lodge. Well, now that that whole storyline of Mister. C has come to a climax and he no longer exists, I think that evil, that dweller on the threshold threshold is within Cooper, and we're not seeing that 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 battle taking place, but I think that is, and that's why Cooper is very uncoop like, and he's bringing Laura home again. And the implications are so grandiose, but I think that his intentions or what his plan is, is is still scrambled too because when he goes there, as we all know, Sarah Palmer isn't there. And was was he intending to bring her to Judy or did he think it was actually just Sarah Palmer?
0: Well that's what we've been discussing for the last two months. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so this changes nothing. Question. The book changes nothing with
0: Well, we don't know if the book's gospel, but if the book is gospel, then one thing it would change was that it would definitely prove that at least at one point Cooper did leave the lodge. He went back in, or he went back in time and retconned reality and was able to go in and change the real world life and that it's had lasting effects and it stuck. That's one thing. Like I was thinking, like, you know, maybe that never even happened. That was all a lodge
1: fantasy of its own. What was your overall, okay, so now that we've gone through all 18 chapters um, of the final dossier, um, I know that you told me your original impression, obviously, the first two thirds you were kind of underwhelmed by, and you really enjoyed the last third, but with that being said, the last third, has it really altered your impressions of season three?
0: Well, it's just on the two. I mean, it hasn't altered anything because we don't know that Lynch buys into any, whether he's even going to read this. So, <laughs> this is something that's not even in his consciousness, and it may have had nothing to do with the story at all. And it's just Lin, uh, Frost's version. But if it were to be taken as gospel, then I think it does have the two. The big twist is that the retcon really stuck and happened, and that, uh, you know, Sarah is Judy, that's, that that's what's inside Sarah. Um, and if the, and I like the, I mean, I like the, the Sarah thing. So if that's true, and I think that would be a great, you know, avenue to take if there were to be another season, but yeah, I'm not sure about the retcon yet, but, uh, yeah, those are the two big takeaways. The rest of it was just kind of like, uh, you know, it was, it was just like a story, but it wasn't, it was like a procedural. It was almost like rehashing a lot of stuff that not necessarily was overtly told already, but stuff that you and I, and I think a lot of other fans could have like figured out. We knew already a lot of this stuff or we, you know, it wasn't too far off of what we imagined. And the two things that people wanted was the Audrey and the Annie. And those were two disappointing, you know, <laughs> they both were just like, you know, rocking the corner in the fetal position <laughs> in a <laughs> mental, you know, that's not, <laughs> that wasn't very inspiring. So anyway, so that was, was, was disappointing. Um, but I, those two, uh, the whole Sarah as Judy thing, that was very tantalizing. And especially the first time I read it, I was very excited about that. So I was glad to be back in the world, but um, yeah, I'm not sure that like it really it changes at anything. He gives us a lot more to think about though, you know, and like he's, uh, you know, he gave us some theories, so he's the ultimate, you know, co-god of this story. Why not believe some of his theories? (laughs) Why not throw them into the mix with all of our million other ones?
1: (laughs) Right, one of the uh, lines that I highlighted when I was reading it was uh, Tammy, I think being affected by all of this misery, the stuff that you're talking about with like Annie and Audrey and uh, the ravages of time and and Frost has even said that the, the time, the passing of time, is, is playing a huge role um, in the series of Twin Peaks. But she has this line that um, the "secret at the heart of the blue rose" and what they do. She is uh, she questions is is it to find the root causes of human misery and evil, and do they have to find that within themselves first? So I think what Tammy is doing is that she's obviously you know uh, pouring over these files and they're not really kind of painting like a positive picture and what Tammy is kind of speculating who are we to judge look within as opposed to um, looking outward
0: yeah well that's like kind of the, the moral we got the darkness all of us have the duality within us so we all have there's darkness all around the world is getting darker the light's going out the log lady's right she's uh <laughs> she's like a Cassandra or whatever she's like not a Cassandra she's prophetic so uh yeah I think there's some Lessons to be taken away from that. I really
1: like that. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I enjoyed the book. It was uh, it was a good read. I, you know, I, I it's hard to compare it to the Secret History because it's so different. There are a lot of things I really liked about the Secret History uh, compared to the Final Dossier. I liked the the, the epic nature of it. I liked certain pa- sections of it, um, but I could say the same thing about this, the Final Dossier. I liked some sections more than than others. It would feel better uh, for me. I think. If they were combined somehow, if he was somehow able to weave some of these stories into the, the secret history of Twin Peaks, I think that probably would have been the definitive book, because this one does feel uh, slight by not going into some of these characters, like their minds or their hearts, as you say, um, really kind of keeps you at a distance and uh, makes you kind of judge some of these iconic characters that that we've we've loved for so long and have wondered what happened to them we sometimes just get like a page or two and more often than not it's uh, kind of miserable their fates have been uh, tragic so uh, it kind of made me feel that way it made me feel uh, a little sad and a little angry that uh, it was a, there was a lot of, of negativity and very few moments of uh, of uh, positive and I'm not like that by nature but um, it it seemed like deliberate. Well, I mean, it's a sign of the times, man.
0: It's a dark times.
1: Yeah, but the, some <laughs> it's of these characters were like in the '90s. I mean, you know, it was just it, it's not just the last year or so. It's like over the past 25 years. I mean, other than what Nadine, Big Ed, Norma, um, maybe Jerry and Ben to some extent. But pretty much everyone else suffered.
0: Well, I mean, look at our country. Like, I think that's what's happened in the last 30 weeks. A lot of people's lives are a lot worse than they were 30 years ago. You know, a lot of things. I think that this goes back into the Frost-like social commentary that he adds into the story. You know, I think this is a part of it with the jail and the drugs and the, all the, you know, misery and sadness and mental problems and you know, all this crazy shit. It's uh, reflecting upon our society, I think, right now. That's what he's trying to do. So he's kind of giving us a lesson. Like, the very end of it was like a little call to action. Like, don't give up. Keep the shovels. Shovel yourself out of the shit. Keep going. <laughs> you know, we can't give up. Like, the, you know, we have a guy, that remember the lodge, wearing the ring is our president. <laughs> That's basically what he said. So we got to keep fighting. Right. <laughs> thanks for listening, you guys. We went through all everything. It's probably one of our longer podcasts. So it was almost as long as reading the book. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed listening to it. We'll go back to more theories next week. But uh, until then, thanks for tuning in.